All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 20th day of July, 2021. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. So I'd like to encourage you to send along your questions or comments, whatever they may be, to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. We also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week, Novo Resources, El Oro Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., NV Gold Corp., and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, The New Honest Monetary Deposits Are Years Now. John Watson of NV Gold visits for the first time during the second segment of today's show. John Rubino joins me during the second half of the show today. And in just a moment, Michael Oliver will be with me uh, to give us his views on what appears to be some very interesting and significant changes taking place in the market these days, but we'll hear what Michael has to say in just a moment. As our global fiat money system is obviously facing destruction and the international banking system is destined for seismic changes, monetary deposits not denominated in fiat money but in grams of gold and silver are popping up around the world. Cryptocurrencies have partly distracted investors from gold and the only currency that really has stood the test of time, but they have also distracted investors from arguably the most undervalued small-cap equity sector, gold and silver expiration stocks. Meantime, under the radar of investors, most all of whom have been programmed to think of gold as a barbaric relic, major mining companies are turning some of the strongest profits and positive cash flows in their histories. But major mining companies have a problem. They are quickly running out of ore, which is why I am so excited about a number of very successful gold and silver exploration companies, some of which are sponsors to this show. Several of them are in the enviable position of outlining large-scale precious metals deposits that are already in the sites of major mining companies. Uh, These are major companies that are going to have to replace the gold and silver uh, uh, resources that are rapidly being uh, decimated and uh, depleted. So I will be talking to John Rubino in the second half of today's show, and John Watson will be with me in the first few minutes of uh, the next segment. Uh, and um, well, he'll be with me in just a, f- a few minutes. Uh, he's with NV Gold. It's a company with several early-stage gold and silver exploration projects in Nevada. Uh, but right now I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me to provide us with some of his views on the markets. And I would note that these comments by Michael were pre-recorded 
yesterday at 12 o'clock noon New York time. So please keep that in mind as you uh, review and take a look at the markets today. As always, I'd like to mention that Michael's website is OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. You should go there to learn about Michael's service and consider signing up for it. Uh, it is uh, one of those things that I couldn't do without, quite frankly, and I'm very pleased uh, to welcome Michael. Uh, to this microphone again, thanks for joining me, Mike. Hi, Jay. Good to be here. Always good to have you with us. And, um, you know, you've been telling us that we should, that gold and silver share investors should really be keeping their eyes on the equity markets. Uh, I, I believe your, your view is that uh, the next major move for gold and gold shares is likely to come uh, when the equity markets uh, no longer sort of give people the joy they're looking for with continuous upside uh, movements, but uh, if that's your view yet, Michael, uh, let us know uh, what your thoughts are. Well, in our weekend report, we updated our breakage numbers uh, on a fairly long-term timescale for S&P 500 and several of the major sectors within the stock market, excluding the leadership sector, which is best represented by NASDAQ 100 and about five of its heavily weighted symbols that we all know, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google. Um uh, that's the leadership of the market. Uh, we've broken today um, all of our trigger numbers that we specified for the S&P and key sectors. Um, these are based on, uh, try not to confuse you here, uh, quarterly momentum, meaning we're measuring price in its relationship to a three-quarter moving average, which is about the same as measuring versus a 200-day or 40-week average. It's, it's fairly long-term metric. Okay, mm -hmm. And it's not the issue of breaking through the average, but it's breaking through a recurrent structure. Mm -hmm. When you look at a momentum chart, you'll see the S&P in the first quarter of this year drop down early in the quarter, first quarter of this year, early January, to about 10 or 11 percent, not 10, but just above 10 percent over the three-quarter average and then rallied. Okay, So when you look at the oscillator, you see this drop down to plus 10 percent, or actually above there, and then a rally. Then in the second quarter... We adjusted the three-quarter average up, and boom, the low that quarter was what? Oh, about just below 11%, so 10% plus over. So it stopped the same place, not in price, but on momentum, uh -huh. where it stopped in the first quarter. So momentum setting up a bottom, a, a floor there. Okay, mm -hmm. It did it twice. Then early this quarter, what did we do? We dropped down to 10.5% over, would not touch 10% over, <laughs> and rally. Okay? New highs, okay? Uh we blew it out today. Uh huh. Okay, so it's three quarters in a row they've been trying not to touch 10% over. So what? Okay, well, by touching that, it's our view that probably the S&P and the broad market is going to drop down at least to that long-term moving average before it finds decent support. It might hold for a while. We don't think it'll ultimately hold. Well, where is that number? Well, in the S&P, it's down at 3880s. Oh. Okay, we're trading in, okay, we're trading in the hot, in the 42s right now. Okay? Wow. 4200s. Yeah. That's 10% below where we closed last week. And that's a pretty good drop. Now that's not a, that's not a disaster. It's not a panic like uh, March of 2020 was. We think it could be an arm wrestling match. We think that's basically where we're headed. Problem. When we look at the NASDAQ 100, which is arguably the leader index in the developed market world, okay, Primarily because 50% of it is comprised of those five symbols I, I just mm -hmm. read off. So the, the leadership of the market has been very narrow. In fact, more exceptionally narrow than it's ever been in terms of what has gotten us up here, okay, in terms of weighting. 
In fact, those same symbols constitute about 20% of the S&P, mm-hmm. 500. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what we're looking at now is we're watching the NASDAQ 100 for its breakage. Now, we're looking at the even longer-term time scale for it, annual momentum, measuring versus a 36-month average. If the S&P goes down to its three-quarter average, it's 10% drop from where we were last Friday, um, it's highly likely it's, the NASDAQ will break its annual momentum trigger levels, which mm-hmm. is far more lethal, far longer term in implication. So we think we're probably seeing a top made in the stock market. Now, what does that mean for gold investors? Well, it removes a category that has been very popular for money to flow into. That's step one. And remember, go back through history and you'll find periods of time where uh, it's not that the Fed has provided liquidity or not. It's where did that liquidity go? Uh-huh. And it doesn't always go to the stock market. It often goes to commodities or it goes somewhere else. But if you kick the shin of the stock market and cause it to break enough to where doubt comes back again, then more and more money is going to be moving into gold and related. And that's our view there. It's, in other words, the breakage in the stock market will help move more money over to gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those who think that gold miners are correlated to the stock market, don't look at day to day. Look at the charts going back oh, 2011 or so. From 2011 to 2016, early, what did they do? They went down big time. What did the stock market do? It went up big time. So quit the correlation linkage. It's not there. In fact, it's probably inverse. Uh, so right now, I'm, I'm thinking that one of the other issues about the stock market is this. As a major asset category, we know the Fed has said before in writing, Bernanke wrote a paper on it, that defending the stock market is very important. Why? Because it maintains consumer confidence and spending. And that is good for the economy, he said, <laughs> rather than saving. Uh, so, well, that's what we've had for the last dozen years. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of spending, a lot of debt accumulation. And uh, if the stock market starts to break now, which has not been a negative problem for the Federal Reserve for the last 10, 12 months anyway. Uh, once it came off last year's low, by the summertime, it was quite strong. So it's been a not been a pain for the Fed. They haven't had to defend it. If suddenly they now have a stock market that's in doubt, it begins to be, be perceived as in doubt by investors, asset managers, and so forth, then what's the Fed going to do? Do you think they're going to tighten? No way. That, okay, that debate goes out the window overnight. Uh, and I think that's why it's important that if the stock market breaks down, as we define that it has begun to do now, then that asset class shift will cause the Fed to get even more worried, hence not uh, be panicked about, quote, inflation, which they had produced for decades anyway, just gone into the stock market. Uh, they will continue that policy, if not get more, even more aggressive. What will that do to gold and gold miners? Well, you answer the question. Yeah, uh, I believe so. And I would like to just uh, pass along a comment that you made on your weekly gold report. You said, and I quote, Gold watchers have been put to sleep, which often happens before major trend changes. Rarely does such a market provide a gentleman's entry. There isn't time for committee meetings to determine asset reallocations, end of quote. Well, what do you mean by gentleman's entry? I mean, are you telling us this well, is one of those? gentleman's entry means, yeah, yeah go ahead. Dick. Yeah, go no, ahead. Go, no, you go ahead, the, the definition. Uh, well, a gentleman's entry means some lazy period where you get to make it, you can have your committee meetings with your asset managers or your board of directors or whatever, but where to 
allocate assets. Uh-huh. And that's when a breakout occurs, but it's slow and sluggish, and you have plenty of time to respond to I it. I see. I'll give you an example of a thunderbolt or a chaos theory type of non-gentleman's entry. Mm-hmm. Silver. Mm-hmm. Silver was laggard to gold for 2011 through 2017 and 18 and 19. Many, many years it underperformed gold. Gold already began its move from a low in 2015, and by 2019 was well above that low. Silver was still lingering down there in the zone below $20. Mm-hmm. And if you look at a silver chart, last July, first several weeks, we, they triggered our annual momentum on silver. It was a massive, clear ceiling was broken through on momentum. Mm-hmm. Within three weeks, silver went from our trigger level in the $19.40 zone to $10 above there in three weeks. Whoa. Was, that's a non-gentleman's entry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't act, you miss it, okay? Mm-hmm. And now, what, what are we quibbling about? Well, we're quibbling about silver, 25 and a half, 26 zone. Uh, 13 months after that surge, we're still way above those breakout levels. Mm-hmm. And it, it, there's a lot of people selling up here. Yeah. But it's not collapsing. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's gone sideways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might even say it's an ascending triangle. But uh, that's what I mean by a gentleman's entry. They didn't provide one. We suspect that when the perception hits that the Fed is not going to taper, and that was all delusional, that there'll be a point at which gold reaches certain levels, and we specify them in our reports, uh, reaches those levels that gold will do a launch similar to what silver did. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Where investors just suddenly say, "I gotta have it." Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll throw it out to you. It's basically you get up much back up toward the price level where the Fed selling began. Mm-hmm. Gold was trading around eighteen sixty at that time. We've got numbers on either side of that. If you see that again, and right right now we're trading at eighteen oh seven, so we're talking a couple percent above us. Silver's now twenty five twenty. It's you know, sell off mode, but still way in the middle of that ink of the last 13 months. Uh-huh. It gets back up to about just below 28. It should do another launch. Hmm. So, in other words, another non-gentleman's entry. Okay. Well, we have to be ready for those, but you're saying... Yeah, in other words, if you're not ready, you miss it. Too bad. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, we better be ready and uh, because, as you say, people are lulled to sleep a lot of times with these sort of uh, boring sideways moves. Um, just before we leave here, and we're just about out of time, what about... The gold miners, I, I know they're doing well fundamentally. They're making lots of money these days. Uh, GDX, I know you, you follow that. How does that. How is that looking on your momentum work? Well, we also look long-term at XAU Index because it's uh-huh. the oldest index out there. It goes back to the 1970s. So uh-huh. GDX only started in 2006. But both of them look very good on long-term charts. Mm-hmm. What's been going on is we've had this intermediate correction, which made it slow in March, by the way then rebounded. Now we're having a secondary sell-off. We're not below the March lows, just like gold is certainly not. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if you watch gold right now. It, it dropped down to 1795 today. It's right now 1807. If you get uh, much above today's intraday high, which is 1818, I suspect you're going to have seen the low in the pullback in GDX. Hmm. And yes, GDX and all the miners have been vastly underperforming gold for the last couple months. But in the bigger picture, if you go back and look at the 2016 low, GDX low, XAU index low, and the gold low, and do a percentage measurement of where they are even right now compared to gold, they're vastly beating gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's only in the intermediate that they've underperformed, but in the yeah. broader picture of the last 
five years, they've beaten gold. Right. So yeah. I expect them to continue to beat gold. Yeah. And well, any further upside. Well, certainly keeping the broader picture in mind is very important because we can be swayed emotionally uh, by short-term movements that, uh, that trigger us in and out of the markets at the wrong time, exactly at the wrong time. And that's one of the things that I've really appreciated about your work, Michael, is it's been very helpful uh, in uh, in calming my nerves and looking at the bigger picture. So it's uh, that's why you're so valuable and why so many people love to hear what you have to say. I, I really appreciate you and... And thank you again for being with us, Michael. We'll look to do it again in a couple of weeks from now. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to a break now, but don't go away because when I come back, I'm going to be with John Watson. He'll be here to talk about NV Gold. That company's plans to explore various gold targets that they have in Nevada through the end of this year. Don't go away. We'll be right back with John Watson. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time John Watson. John is the chairman and CEO of NV Gold Corp. Uh, he has had over 45 years of experience in the mineral resource industry. From 2002 to 2007, he was the president of Pan Nevada Gold Corporation, which prior to the completion of its plan of arrangement with Midway Gold Corp uh, back in 2007 was a TSX-listed exchange company focused on the acquisition, exploration, expansion, and advanced stage gold projects in Nevada. And from 1979 to 1993, John was the president and CEO of Horizon Gold Corporation, which was listed on the NASDAQ from 1986 to 1993. Horizon Gold Corp uh, built and operated two open pit heap leach mines in Nevada 
during the period of 1985 through 1992. John holds a bachelor's degree in geology uh, from the University of Texas and a, a master's in science in mineral economics from the Colorado School of Mines. And I might add that John is a very good friend of Dr. Quentin Henning, who is a frequent guest on this show. Uh, and uh, Dr. Henning, I believe, is still on the board of directors of NV Gold Corp. Before I say hello to John, let me just tell you that uh, that stock trades in Canada under the symbol NVX. You can buy it down here in the States, as I have under the symbol NVGLF. 79.8 million shares, uh, trading at a little earlier today, about 19 cents in Canadian only. Only 19 cents, giving a market cap of only around $15 million, which I think is... uh, a number you want to keep in mind as you start to think about what this company has uh, in potentially has in the ground and what it's looking to uh, to work on and explore and discover. John, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jay. I'm I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Well, it's good to have you with us. And the, the last time that NV Gold was discussed in this show, Peter Ball was the president of the company. He has since resigned. Just recently, he resigned. Uh, with his departure, will the company be making any changes in in any direction? Uh, Jay, as I mentioned in a shareholder letter, which I published last week, the recent transition from Peter to myself has been quite smooth. Peter has been really helpful in transferring the necessary information and has been working with me on investor contacts as well as the duties of various contractors and so forth. Equally important, as you are aware, I've remained the chairman throughout Peter's tenure so I've remained up to date on the direction of the company's business, and in particular, I've kept apprised of the technical matters in respect of our field operations. Having been an exploration geologist and an executive in Nevada for over 40 years, I have a deep understanding of the landscape. Mm-hmm. There won't be any significant changes in our geologic approach to our advanced projects, in particular, Sam, Sandy and Slumber. Mm-hmm. And there will only be minor adjustments to our exploration philosophy. Mm-hmm. We will still be searching Nevada more with an eye to the obscured deposits hidden from the easy view. Mm-hmm. I elaborated more in this shareholders letter that I referred to, and it's posted on our website under investors CEO letters. All right. Those who have for those who have only recently been uh, introduced to NV Gold. I was the founder of the company in 2009, investing my own funds for our first exploration program. All right. So I guess you're, um, you're very much uh, in tune with what's going on then. John, are you there? I am indeed. Okay. I, I wasn't indeed. sure I lost. <laughs> uh, all right. So <laughs> I was let's, just going to give you some... a chance to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You're the guest. Uh, people don't want to hear much from me. I, they, I, if anything, I'm told to, to be quiet and let my guests talk. So let's get on to a couple of your projects. The Sandy Project, which you just mentioned, um, I know that you've had a lot of hopes for that project. Uh, the early exploration results were less than spectacular, I guess, uh, you know, to the untrying. You know, lots of people are looking for the instant gratification in this, you know, especially retail investors. And they're looking for the big hit and they want to hit and run and make a quick buck and get away. Uh, it doesn't usually work that way in this business. And Sandy came out with some results uh, recently that the market seemed to be a bit disappointed in. I thought saw a sell-off about 35% from around $0.35 cents to $0.20 cents or something like that. Uh, but, but what are you seeing? You're continuing on to explore that. What do you see there that tells you this is worth continuing to, uh, to look into? There's a lot more to the story. High-grade epithermal targets are really challenging to explore. 
the deposits are physically small, so it's a bit like aiming at a postage stamp across a parking lot with a blindfold on. Uh, but seriously, they can contain a large number of ounces at extremely good grades, but they come in a small package. That translates, however, to a, potentially a low cost per ounce and very high profitability. Sandy certainly holds this kind of promise. The drilling completed in our Q1 program hit low-grade gold in almost every hole, covering a long strike length and had significant width. There was strong solidification over the entire large area, and we intersected quite a number of near-surface, pyrotized, gold-bearing quartz veins. All of these factors suggest a robust gold system at depth. Our next step is an additional round of geophysics, namely induced potential and resistivity, hopefully providing encouragement to more precisely target the next round of deeper holes. I know that everyone points out that there have been, as you just did, some notable successes in the past year, like Great Bear and Newfound Gold, mm-hmm. but it's not likely they achieved those levels of results without a heck of a lot of hard work to get there. Patience is required. We have to do the work. And I might add here that the 2021 program utilized a truck-mounted RC drill with limited reach and it had some difficulty with the abundant groundwater. We'll hopefully have access to more powerful equipment in the next program, whether we choose core or deep RC. Mm-hmm. But I need to point out that both of these types of rigs are really in short supply, particularly in Nevada. We mm-hmm. need to be patient and wait for the right equipment for the next program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, patience is, is rewarded, uh, even though maybe investors aren't always aware of it. Uh, so you, you don't know exactly when you might do some more drilling there at this stage. We don't. Um, our goal is uh, to make the next program probably in Q1. Um, again, this this will depend on a number of things. Availability of equipment and personnel is first and foremost. Weather would also be a, a consideration, but the weather at Sandy is usually pretty good. It's in a rain shadow, so we don't have the big snows and so forth to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's talk about Slumber, uh, the Slumber Project, which is named after the famous Sleeper uh, Gold Mine, which Amex Gold years ago. I was a, a banker at the time, was involved uh, in the uh, gold loan that was made to, to Amex that helped them monetize that very rich, um, rich gold deposit. And they had a lot of lower grade stuff too, but the, but it was that rich high grade, uh, many many ounces per ton in some cases, as I recall. Um, and so your your slumber, you had some results in May that were encouraging. I believe you had uh, made a, a new oxide discovery. I believe that you weren't aware was there. Uh, measured some 600 meters in width. Uh, talk about your plans for slumber. Okay. Well, it's had two two early stage drill programs over the past two years, mm-hmm. and both of the programs did intersect encouraging mineralization, as you just pointed out. The geophysics that we've done supports both deeper potential below the drilling recently completed and, importantly, a shallower, what we call a resistor target north of the recent program. This target is relatively shallow and strongly strongly supported by our past few drill holes. It's important for a couple of reasons. There is significant groundwater at Slumber, just like at Sandy, which makes the deeper RC drilling or core drilling a bit challenging. 
the resistor target is well within reach of most RC drills, water or no water. It'll be the next program and could get underway in the next couple of months. Again, I'm sorry to sound like a broken record, but depending upon the availability of drill equipment, deeper diamond core drilling at Slumber is certainly warranted, but the core equipment and personnel are still in short supply, so uh, we can't predict what you know at exactly what quarter we can get the rig on the site. Uh, it's more likely to occur in Q1 or Q2. The RC mm-hmm. program testing the shallow target, which will hopefully happen much sooner and will further advance our geologic understanding of the gold system overall and better focus the deeper program later. All right. Well, we'll have to keep our eyes on those on those projects. And uh, the sooner we can get the news, the better. The market really wants to hear, that's for sure. Let's move on, though. You have a lot of other things going on here. You, uh, you, you just acquired uh, some new projects. I'm looking, I think, some Spanish Canyon, uh, Discovery Bay, Pickle Handle, some of those. Uh, what are your... What are your uh, thoughts there, and why did you pick them up? Well, all three of those uh, uh, projects that you just mentioned um, were were brought in by Thomas Klein, our VP of Exploration, mm-hmm. and they're all three beyond the initial stage of reconnaissance, and there's a good probability that one or more of them may see an initial drill program for the end of the year. Uh, all three are subtle expressions that rely on sensitive sampling methods to identify the targets. Mm-hmm. Now, when I speak of the subtle expressions and the sensitive sampling methods, this is the future of exploration in Nevada and the Great Basin. I'd like to say that most of the easy gold in Nevada already resides in a bank in Switzerland, but there are still <laughs> large deposits waiting to be found in Nevada just but they're more challenging to find. Yeah, that well, is one of the great gold provinces on the planet, and a great portion of it is covered by valleys and volcanics, which have been poorly explored. I mean, just imagine for a moment a junior company disco- discovering a gold quarry or a gold rush. That uh-huh. potential is still there. Yeah, it's just harder to find. The easy stuff's been picked up long ago in Nevada. Um, Indeed. So you've picked up uh, – you, you have – a lot of other things going. You have some something like 20 projects uh, in your portfolio. We just have about three or four minutes left here, but talk to us about all the other things that you have going on, and I guess you're maybe going to make some of those available for uh, for other companies to to spend that, some money. That is, that is correct. Um, with the current frenzy of activity in Nevada, there, these other projects are of increasing value and have a relatively low holding cost. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll... I'll be a little quicker here, yeah. but um, I point out that, you know, looking at my, both myself and our board, all of us are experienced geologists. Uh, there are no car salesmen or pot entrepreneurs, because those <laughs> guys hardly ever find gold deposits. But in addition, we have several well-known advisors that contribute regularly to our planning and our technical discussions. Thomas Klein, who is now in charge of our field operations and VP of Exploration, came to us from Newmont, where he was engaged for decades as a senior geologist in worldwide exploration. You know, he, he spent the last decade or more in Nevada and has numerous gold discoveries to his credit. He came mm-hmm. on board in January and is now fully in control of the exploration management. From a news flow perspective, we have four to six projects that will be fully active over the next 12 months, and it will include oh. two that will be undertaking second or third stage drilling and possibly two or three additional initial drilling programs with substantial discovery potential. Um, so 
that to kind of sum things up, I'll give you five compelling reasons that NVX stands out among the top tier of junior exploration companies. One, yeah, because there's, uh, there's hundreds of them out there, so uh, let's hear it. In, indeed, there is. There's a multitude. First, we possess highly experienced management. We have over 150 years of Nevada experience among ourselves. Two, we have a good cash position with approximately $4 million, which is adequate for the next 12 months or more uh, to complete our work plan. Three, our property pipeline consists of advanced projects, multiple geologic environments, and varied target types. We have a good inventory of projects with promising prospects for a home run. Remember, exploration is a numbers game. Yeah, Our share is. structure shows 79 million shares issued, which is tight for a 12-year-old company. And management is well invested in this company with participation in multiple private placements since the beginning. And I could add that I personally continue to have a significant cash stake in NB Gold and, had, and have had since the very first day. Our value promise is that our priority is money in the ground, our people have the experience to make that money count, and discovery is our goal. So in short, NVX is an experienced exploration company with great prospects, a good cash position, a solid work plan, and a willingness to intelligently take the risks to make the significant discovery. Yeah. Well, it's a, the share uh, structure is very appealing, a, a minimal, a really small market uh, cap of $15 million with uh, very good, strong technical people. Uh, that certainly is the recipe for success. Uh, we just need to have a little patience, I guess, and we'll be looking forward to the news uh, news flow as it comes out. You mentioned there should be some news, I suppose, with some of those joint venture partners that will be, uh, that will be doing some drilling. And um, Let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope we get some good news, and uh, we look forward to keeping up with your story, John, as things go forward. It certainly is, I think, you know, one of these that you might want to pick up some shares and, and hold on to them and, and wait. Um, they're very cheap right now, very inexpensive, uh, and that's the time to buy them. And having good management, you know, this is a game of, of intellectual uh, property, really. It's, a, it's, it's, it's geologists, and most people don't have any understanding, really much of an understanding, of how much technical work and how much science goes into finding these. And so really what you want to do is look at the board, look at the members of management and their abilities. And of course, uh, well known to listeners of this show is uh, Dr. Quentin Hanning, who I know is very close to your company, is uh, also uh, knows you very well, and no doubt you have some of his input from time to time as well. So... All right. Well, thank you very much, John, for, for being with us, and uh, we'll look to keep up with your story going forward. I appreciate the opportunity, Jay. Thank you for having me. You bet. All right, folks, so we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because John Rubino will be back with me. He's got a bunch of things on his mind. These current markets are, are very challenging, also uh, have great uh, potential if, you, uh, if you're on the right side of them. So don't go away. We'll be back with John Rubino right after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. 
Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me once again, John Rubino. And uh, before we say hello to John, I want to implore you to go to dollarcollapse.com, dollarcollapse.com. Every day there's a lot of great material there, information uh, on the markets and uh, viewpoints uh, of the markets. I think very, uh, very, very worthwhile spending a couple of minutes a day to go there and check out what the content is. And uh, my favorite, one of my favorite things that John has there. Uh, his is his top ten videos of the week, which he always has some some really great uh, great ideas, great uh, great discussions. These videos are discussions of well-known personalities in uh, uh, in the gold and uh, in the investment space in general, but especially focus on uh, on gold and silver and that that uh, and the commodities and so forth. John, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks for having me on, Jay. Good to talk to you again. It's always good to have you with us and. Um, you know, what do you make of this, this? these gold markets? It's very frustrating to me. I wake up in the morning. I come down here. I see the markets are up uh, up in Asia from the close yesterday in New York, usually up through the middle of the day in London. About the time New York comes alive, it just gets whacked more often than not. It gets whacked in just a matter of minutes, and then it crawls its way back up. On the other hand, um, I, I guess it was a couple of days ago when it was the opposite happened. Actually, it was pretty low, and then it, it really uh, took a dramatic rise in, in New York time as well. So, I mean, it can go both ways, but it's there was a guy that did a study some time ago, a, a, Ger- a German guy, and I've forgotten what his name is now, but I know I've, I've looked into it. He said if you invested every day, if you bought gold every day at the close in New York, uh, you know, and then sold it, uh, in the early days in in New York, you would you would make a lot of money, and he and he went through and demonstrated that was the case. So somebody is whacking the market really hard uh, over time. Um, that is to the detriment of of investors in the U.S. It seems. 
Well, you know, that does seem to be the pattern, Jay. I, I know I go to bed uh, a, a lot of nights thinking, ooh, tomorrow tomorrow's going to be a great day for the gold yeah. mining stocks, you know, because gold is up overseas and it just has to keep that price the, um, until the next day for the miners to go up in response. Um, and and then it gets whacked and you have a you know way less exciting day than it seemed like it was going to be. So, um, But it shouldn't surprise us that gold is being manipulated because they, if it wasn't, it would be the only market that isn't manipulated these days. So <laughs> as, as the saying goes, there are no markets anymore. There are only manipulations. Um, so we should be grateful, I think, that gold is still in a bull market. I mean, it's still up dramatically from its low of a few years back. And it's at levels that, first of all, are, are profitable for people who have been dollar cost averaging you know if you've been buying gold all along you're doing great right now overall and it's great for the the mining companies if you're a producing gold miner you probably brought your mine online um with the idea of 1400 or 1500 dollar gold maybe less Mm -hmm. uh, which means you're generating lots of free cash flow now you're more profitable than you expected to be and that's a, you know, it's a great situation for a company, especially for a big company, because, uh, you know, free cash flow papers over a multitude of sins. And it gives you um, a lot of opportunities to, to do good things. Uh, and that's the situation that a lot of the big gold miners find themselves in now. You know, they're just raking it in. They're, they're mm-hmm. going to report big numbers. And, and by the way, this is earnings season for the gold miners. Yes. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a lot of really impressive numbers out of the, the majors. And, we'll, you know, we'll see what that does for their stock prices. It may do nothing, but who knows? You know, maybe fundamentals actually matter <laughs> or yeah. will at some point in the future. And this stuff will start to um, send prices higher. Yeah, I, th- I think they will matter in the future. And it sort of brings me to one of the ideas that Michael Oliver has been expressing uh, over the last number of months or so on this show. He's talking about gold's next major move or the precious metals next major move will come when the equity market finally uh enters a bear territory, starts to be, starts to get head lower. Now, he doesn't expect a crash. Michael's expecting sort of a layered decline in the equity markets. But on the other hand, if equities go down, I mean, the Fed can hardly allow that to happen, right? Because look at all the pension funds that are in the equity markets now. What's going to happen if the equity markets really start to take, uh, you know, start to tank? What's going to happen to our economy? What's going to happen to the pension funds? Well, when, when, you as a society or as an individual borrow way too much money, you become financially fragile. So you can't handle things that you might ordinarily just kind of shrug off, you know? And yeah. and in the case of countries and financial markets, uh, you know, one of the things you can no longer handle is an equities bear market. Like if we had a 20% even, let, let alone a 30 or 40% drop in the value of the average stock in the US, we would just spiral out of control because as you said, so many different entities out there depend on high stock prices for their survival. You know, if you're a pension fund right now and you're you're only 60% funded, which is almost the majority of, of um, public sector pension funds out there, and you've got half your money in equities, that's the, the half of your money that's actually doing well. You know, let that drop. And then you're 40% funded, which is basically Armageddon for a pension fund. You know, that's that's the point at which they, they throw out their, uh, their management, bring in new people, and then cut benefits dramatically, yada, yada. You know, it, it's, it's a catastrophe. Uh, and we would see that across the country and all kinds of different entities and everything. Oh, and, and by the way, 
an example of how bad things have gotten out there, Jay, is that uh, Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, which is the biggest investment company in the world now, mm-hmm. is now counseling people to be 100% in equities. Um, wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Because it used to be that, uh, you know, you divided up your money between several different asset classes and then you adjusted the, the uh, allocation according to your age. But he's saying, no, if you want to retire, uh, you're going to have to work longer and you're going to have to take more risks, which is, um, you know, <laughs> a, a pretty rich coming from a guy who doesn't have to do any of those things. You know, he's, just, he's lecturing the rest of us on how uh, we're going to have to wait to 75 to retire. And uh, and in the meantime, put our money into stuff that could go down by 40 percent, you know, which would move our retirement date out to 80 or whatever. Um, but that's where we are now as a society. It's getting worse and worse for regular people while the 1% siphon more and more money from Mm -hmm. everybody else. So, uh, you know, all the civil unrest that we're seeing out there, a lot of it is, uh, you know, um, COVID-related on the surface, but it's actually people just being really frustrated by the situation that they find themselves in. So any excuse is going to send people into the streets. You know, look look at the videos of what's happening in London right now. It's astounding. Um, And that could spread anywhere, anytime. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, you know, speaking of the pension funds, uh, I saw a chart just recently that showed uh, over the last couple of quarters or so, especially since COVID started, that almost all of the new money that's being funded for the Treasury, the U.S. Treasury, is being uh, is being funded by the uh, by the Fed. The Fed is purchasing the debt and pension funds. Between the pension funds and the Fed, there's almost nobody else that's buying treasuries these days, it seems. So now if we, uh, if this leads me to my, what I wanted to ask you about, how can we start, how can we have these spikes up in inflation? You know, CPI, I think the the print was 5.2%. The last one, then a PPI was 7.3%. I mean, these are numbers that we haven't seen since the 1970s. And yet interest rates are going down. Uh, how do you explain that, number one? And number two, what happens if interest rates start to go up? Those pension funds are not only in equities, they're in, in bonds and treasuries, and they would start to lose their, their hides on that as well, right? This is a really complex financial situation right now because you've got all these cross currents um, that, that are mutually contradictory, but they're out there at the same time. You know, you've got uh, this inflation that we've seen. These, By the way, you're right. These are... are um, crisis level headline inflation numbers. And don't forget that we don't calculate inflation the way we used to in the 1970s. If we right. used that same calculation methodology, our inflation rates would be as high as the double digit rates that we had back then. And, and 1970s was a, a decade of massive currency crises, one after another, uh, which culminated in um, almost 20% interest rates. We had to raise interest rates to 16 or 18%, depending on the, uh, the maturity and, and which kind of bonds you're talking about, um, just to stave off a currency collapse. And so remember, we can't do that anymore because yeah. interest rates going up like that would just bl- take a blowtorch to most of the, uh, the leverage speculating community, which is to say almost everybody these days. So, so it's really hard to, to know what to think about five or six percent official inflation right now because you've got you know you got the base effects from the uh the little mini deflation we had during the pandemic lockdowns and you've got the the global supply chains being all screwed up also by the lockdowns and then you've got all this money that they created also because of the lockdowns um it, that is just flooding the system 
and pushing the price of the weirdest things up. You know, why, why are cars at record high prices? Right. Yeah. If, if you're on lockdown, you know, you lost your job or else you're working from home. Do you need to go out and buy a new car? That seems like the last thing you would need to go out and buy. And yet everybody's doing it. So I don't have a good explanation for exactly how all this stuff should resolve because so much of it is, um, or, or let's put it another way. Uh, another framework might be necessary to understand this. And, and Jim Rickards has a, um, a good one, I think, when he talks about complex systems, which are something you know, like the global financial system that requires huge amounts of new money constantly put into it to keep it from spinning out of control. And, and when it does start to spin out of control, it goes nonlinear, which means that yesterday means nothing to what happens today. And today means nothing to what happens tomorrow. So you can't make any predictions based on the immediate past or the long-term past or anything. The system is just bouncing from one thing to another. And that's what this feels like, you know, that house prices should spike during a recession and that that cars are more expensive than they've ever been before and that stocks are going through the roof despite the fact that interest rates were going way up for a while and, and now it, uh, stocks are still way up even though interest rates are way down. Who knows what any of that means except that it could be that this complex system which is the global financial market is finally starting to melt down in which case volatility is the only thing you can talk about with any kind of certainty you know things are going to get crazy out there but what particular flavor of crazy is very hard to predict Mm -hmm. yeah it's very hard to predict you would think uh, of course if the fed allowed interest rates to go where the market would take them God only knows how high they would be, but they would certainly be a lot higher than they are now, where they're really negative rates uh, in real terms, for sure. Uh, and uh, that doesn't bode well, I think, for, for economic growth. And banks are not making loans now, John. You know, they're, um, they're, they're flush with cash, but they're not making loans. What do you make of that? Well, banks don't want to lend at negative rates, right? And uh, who would, you know, really? Yeah, you're, exactly. you're getting way, you're not, you're not getting in real terms uh, an actual return. You're actually losing money when, affla- when inflation adjusting your, your assets. So banks don't want any part of that. And, yeah. um, uh, and, and yet, people are still apparently able to borrow a lot of money to do a lot of things out there, you know? Uh, so I... I don't know, Jay. I, I think that the negative interest rate thing is a very big deal because it historically leads to instability and much higher precious metals prices. Um, that's that's usually the best environment for gold and silver uh, because it um, it means that something that has a a guaranteed long term zero cash return like gold or silver. Oh, sorry about the dogs in the background. That will stop in, in a second, I promise. But, uh, but that that is actually, you know, something with um, a zero return in the sense that it holds its value. It doesn't go down over long periods of time. Looks great when bonds and cash are losing value at an accelerating rate. So um, historically, this kind of an environment has been really good for precious metals and by implication, the miners. So it's good for us <laughs> you know yeah. not good for the world but it's good for people like you and i who, who own a lot of these little well, stocks. yeah i mean i i think it goes without saying that both of us would are not looking to make money and to become wealthy uh at the expense of other people but seeing what it what the federal reserve is doing it is in the process of destroying the the dollar and other central banks are doing the same thing 
the Fed has put itself between a rock and a hard place. It can't allow rates to rise, as you just pointed out, or it destroys the equity market. So do you think Fink's idea about owning stocks, he's, he's, he's trusting the Fed will have the equity owners' backs? That's basically what he's saying, is that the, the government has decided that it is a public policy objective to have equities and other financial assets go up in value year after year after year because they need that. There's a thing called the income effect, where if your stocks go up, you feel smarter and richer, so you go out and spend, and that drives the economy. It makes the economy grow. Um, it, it's a terrible way to run public policy, but it, it's the last thing we've got. You know, We have nothing left to keep this thing going except higher equity prices. Um, and so what Larry Fink is saying is, okay, you know, uh, th- this is just the world that we're in. The government is actively trying to manipulate stocks higher, so you might, might as well ride along with that. But of yeah. course, that only works until it doesn't work anymore. And financial markets cannot be manipulated to infinity, you know. Uh, eventually, they blow up on you. And at that point, if you've been following the advice of the, you know, the don't fight the Fed crowd, um, you know, you've made lots of money along the way, and then you lose it all in a heartbeat. Yeah. And the way this is set up, that's liable to be just as you're getting ready to retire, uh, which means you never retire, or just as your family really needs that money for something else, and they, they don't get it. You know, it, it, it'll come at a bad time, I guarantee it. <laughs> so well, you just, should not follow that advice. Just so. with a couple of minutes left, John, we we want to talk a little bit about what Rick Rule is talking about, and that is you talk, you know, the mining companies, the big guys are making a lot of money, but they're running out of ore, which leads us to what I think is the most promising sector anywhere, and that is the exploration sector. You and I have followed some very successful exploration stories, uh, for sure. Several of them are are, uh, are sponsors to this show. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, the big guys are going to have to find the gold. Where are they, where are they going to go? Yeah, I agree with you, Jay. This is the most interesting investment thesis in the world right now. Uh, and and the, the basic story is that the, the big gold miners are not replacing their reserves. So every year they get a little smaller because they, they dig a certain amount of gold out of the ground, sell it, and they don't replace it. So unless they want to go extinct, they have to find more reserves from somewhere. And the place to find that those reserves are the successful exploration companies, those that have found pretty good sized deposits that are easy to get to and, and can move the needle for a big miner. And so in, in um, a, a interview Rick Rule just did lately, by the way, he's a, a star in that field. He's, yes, he is. He's very good at what he does. And he said that um, the, the good junior miners, the good exploration companies will be bought out at eye-popping premiums. That's those. That's his term. Um, in the not-too-distant future when, you know, the kind of a feeding, feeding frenzy starts with the majors trying to grab up the uh, relatively small number of really high-quality juniors. So those are the things you want to own. Yeah. Well, a couple of the names that I know that you've been invested in and I have. Great Bear is one uh, that you like a lot, I think, right? Or you yeah. have liked it. it. My thinking there with Great Bear is that the market hasn't really fully, uh, uh, fully appreciated what they have. But I think once the resources, uh, you know, once the resources announced, uh, people can start to understand that. But that would be the kind of thing that the majors are going to want to have a multi, you know, a tier one gold project, high grade, uh, many millions of ounces, that sort of thing. Yeah, that. 
is a potential tier one asset, which is the biggest, best kind of asset in the gold mining space. And, uh, you know, Great Bear is an interesting story because they, they basically find gold with every single hole that they drill. Mm-hmm. And, and they went, the stock went way up. It went from, in the time I've been watching, it went from 39 cents to over 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now people are bored with great drill results. So they can report spectacular numbers and nobody cares anymore because everybody's waiting for them to publish their resource and then waiting for the, um, the bidding wars to start. Um, so this is a, a pretty low risk time to buy something like Great Bear because you, th- they basically have their resource. You know, they, they've got their, um, th- their property. It's pretty much mapped out. You can tell what it is, but they just haven't um, put the numbers together and published them yet. Uh, so it's fairly low risk. You know, they're not going to turn out to be a fraud or, or much less good than anybody thought. Um, and they could easily double once the big guys have actual numbers in hand that they can use to put a value on a uh, company like Great Bear. Yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely th- of that camp as well. There's a lot of others uh, that are not as far along. Uh, one, of course, is Newfound Gold, which is uh, just just astoundingly, it's just crazy, uh, the numbers they're coming up with. And they are still expanding that resource. Uh, that one is still has some upside. And I'm looking at companies like Novo Resources, frankly, that's starting to produce. Novo is starting, and I think we're going to see, I think, fingers crossed, we'll see a positive third quarter, uh, certainly cash flow positive third quarter, uh, on its way to a very significant production if it can grow itself uh, internally uh, with cash flow. It has a, a tremendous upside. But there's a, lots of these things to keep your eyes on, and that's why you know, uh, I would like my listeners to consider subscribing to my letter and, and keeping up with what John does at uh, at his website as well, dollarcollapse.com. Uh, hey, go there every day and just really keep up with, with what is, uh, what's there. The material there is very valuable. So uh, thank you, John, very much for, for sharing your time with us again, and we'll look to do it again sometime soon, I hope. Great. Thanks, Jay. All right, folks. Well, uh, that is all for, uh, for this week. Next week, I'm going to have uh, Peter Buchvar will be with me. Um, as well as Roger Moss of Labrador Gold, which is looking to uh, duplicate what Newfound Gold has done. So uh, don't go. Uh, we'll be with you next week uh, with those gentlemen. And until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Gold Corporation, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in Nevada with an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2021, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors, a globally recognized technical team, report coverage from industry gold experts, and a strong treasury. Visit nvgoldcorp.com to learn more on this exciting story.